Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. I, the voice you're currently hearing right now, am TJ Patrick, one of two straight men here today, joined by the other straight man. (laughs) Trevor Catalano. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most accurate response. And there I'm is keeping whole, that in. There is a whole there is a whole demographic that just started listening to this going, oh. oh God. <laughs> I was the demographic. Yes. Uh, and today we are joined, as you can hear, fr- uh, by two lovely guests, one of which uh, has been on the podcast before. Uh, his name that uh, I mm, I keep I keep wanting See, to make now. a joke. I keep See, no. wanting to make a joke because yeah. just <laughs> say you like want me entire... to fight you. Just that's... say you want me to fight you. <laughs> on Friday, on Friday, Monday. It's basically the entire dynamic of our of our very fresh relationship. Still, um, so yes, we are joined once again. If you listen to our Lovecraft Country uh, re- reject or renew episode at the end of February earlier this year, uh, you will have heard his dulcet tones. Uh, that is, <laughs> that is, uh, Mr. Kari, would you like to, uh, introduce yourself, please? Hello, everyone. I am back, 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 back again. Um, I'm very excited to be here. Hello again. Um, get ready for my chaos. Yeah, if you didn't know he was gay before, you know now, because he's on the Pride episode, so. <laughs> Correct. I, I am a homosexual. <laughs> God, and also joining us for the first time on this podcast, uh, would you like to introduce yourself, madam? Yes, hi. Um, my name is Jenny Jenny House. I am uh, a friend of the pod, and really excited to be here. How many episodes have you listened to, Jenny? Um, I listened to the <laughs> Avatar one. <laughs> Because yes! I got semi-TikTok famous from true. Uh, watching Avatar The Last Airbender for the very first time. Then y'all's podcast came out. And I remember I was walking to campus and trying to answer all of uh, the really, really hard trivia questions. They <laughs> were fucking hard. I got I the one that you didn't person. get about the girl from Pursuing Wallflower that played Katara. I'm thinking on her name right now. May Whitman. I think I'm like the only person on Earth who has not watched Avatar. It's a bop. It's a bop you should, you heathen. The only, the only Avatar that I've watched is the other Avatar with Zoe Saldana. Boom. And she's like, come here and listen to Ewa. This is Ewa. You are like baby. You don't know what to do. And that so is anyway. <laughs> so so we, we, had a, we had a slot to fill. And... While we've done full months of other things, um, this month was jam-packed full of stuff, but we had a slot to fill in June, and we figured, hey, you know what? Even Give it though to the we're gays. not gay, um, we have a lot of gays in our life, uh, and so let's invite these gays onto the podcast and gays. talk about cinema for gay. Um, Come on, these gays. For LGBT. Every time you say gay. Yeah, oh my goodness, please. 
I'm just gonna start <laughs> inserting it. Um, does that work? Can I do that? I don't know. There's gonna be a lot of those questions here today. Just, um, just do, just do a remix of Dua Lipa's uh, uh, "Good in Bed" and just say, just use the word "gay" over and over again in the co- in the chorus. None of you know. Dua Lipa. I love Dua Lipa. I'm I love Dula Peep. Everyone loves Dula Peep. Do you mean the one that's like pretty please? And oh. that's why I I get this really bad, 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 and messing with my head, head, head. Yeah. Like, that's why I was like, yeah, just do all the words as gay. Just. <laughs> that sounds like a drag queen number. Are you a drag queen? That's a drag queen number. I feel like not drag, currently. I feel like, I feel like some drag queen summer has done that. I just know it. I believe it. I can feel it. I feel like it'd be fun. I want TJ to do like a Grinch esque drag. That's been done, Matthew Morrison. No, oh, God. <laughs> and that was um, terrible. <laughs> it was how disgusting. The Grinch, how the Grinch though? I, honestly, I thought it was kind of good. No, no, it wasn't. I no. was in like, like, like I was watching it. I'm, I'm gonna lose. Oh my God, people are gonna hate me. Honestly, I watched it and I was like, honestly, honestly. I did not hate it. I was like, you know, this is fine. No. no I was in the fine. tour with Stefan Carl, who recently, not recently, a couple years ago has passed. He was the main guy in, um, um, what was it called? Laughing Town? Silly Town? Urine Town? No, lazy some kid. Town. No, Lazy Town. Oh, yeah. And I was in that with him. Wait, what? Were you, were you, really? <laughs> yeah, I was Wait, in the was National- Lazy Town the one with the puppets? Yeah. No, Ma- the I mean, with the many short, of them. Yeah, she had short, um, the, the pink hair? Pink bob. And oh the guy my god, I used to love that show. So the bad guy in that show, Stefan Carl, was the Grinch for years and years and years and all of oh, the different I low-key had a crush on him as a child. Happy well, Pride. I knew him very well. I was in the North American Happy Pride. Is he, Christmas. Now it. the real thing is, is, is he of my persuasion can i he's not he had multiple God. children and he passed away pancreatic cancer like no years ago. are you really <laughs> yeah oh i That's had a huge i had a huge crush on him when i was a kid yeah he, he's an angel human so i i i watched the uh matthew morrison grinch and it made my skin crawl because that's just Aww. not how you just play the grinch yeah he was bad he was really really bad Anyway, anyway, <laughs> is the Grinch? No, so, so this gets to the crux of the episode. Is the Grinch queer? Um, yes. Discuss. Nobody is stopping you. <laughs> At the like core of the story, you could definitely argue yes, but from different people playing him, I'd argue no. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think that like the Jim Carrey one. Maybe no. he's ace. I don't know. Well, no, oh, no, Jim Carrey one, obviously. No, baby, that's depression. That's depression. Thing. That's what that is. That's what he that is. He likes dinner with himself. I don't, oh, you know. Um, well, myself, though, Anyway, um, so the actual episode, we're going to, we watched two movies because there's four of us, so there's going to be plenty to say, and we didn't have to fill time. Um, but because, again, me and TJ are not gay. Um, and that's not us being like, that's not me like going out of my way to make sure you know we're not gay. That's, I'm just trying to, to explain. This is not going to work. It's contextually important. Right. Thank you. Um, so we had our, our queer friends choose the movies and they each pretty much chose one at this point. They were both pretty much behind one. Yeah. They didn't dislike the other one, but from yeah. our text messages, it very much seemed like you each had one. I said Moonlight. You said Carol. Oh, I, I thought said, it was the, um, the other way. I, I, I said well, so many. 
You did. I can't remember, I can't really remember what I said because when you guys were having this conversation, I was doing something. And so I was like half in the group chat and half doing what I was doing. And I'm trying to remember what movie I suggested. I'm pretty sure I suggested like Breakfast on Pluto. Which is a great movie. Which is a, yeah, um, it's a great movie. I kind of, the reason I like spitball these ones and we kind of condensed down, it seems to Moonlight and Carol is, in my opinion, these movies in a lot of ways represent some of the complicated but typical tropes of queer films for both like gay men and lesbian gay women gay women women. um and i think that's what i liked about choosing these films was that they kind of give us those nice umbrellas of so many other queer films that can fall into these tropes and it's a fun way to dive into these types of like prominent queer films which is yeah. kind of depressing when you look at the core of how freaking sad and isolated they are, but that's something else. Actually, they're only like a year away from each other, right? Yeah. Carol was 20, what, 2015 or something? 2015, 2016. Moonlight's 2016. And then Moonlight was 2016. Yeah. But they all have a nice past of so many other queer films before them. <laughs> Lots of hot people. Lots of hot, straight people. We deliberately said no broke Playing back um, I love Brokeback. Listen, Brokeback Mountain was like the the pinnacle of my queerness in high school. I watched Brokeback Mountain all the time. Ditto. Literally, like anytime it was on TV, I was like, no one call me, no one text me. I'm going to sit in when my living room. he smells the shirt at the end, I cry. I so cannot. Stupidly I can't hard. do it. Yep. And like now looking back, I just know that that sex scene was one of the most terrible and inaccurate things I've ever seen. And I will never <laughs> forgive the director for that. Well, let's talk about Carol for that matter. Yeah, let's go ahead and Jesus get into Christ. it. We're going to start with Carol. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Carol is a 2015 <laughs> film directed by a guy. Um, but written by a woman. Yes. Um, a 2015 film starring, shut up, motorcycle people. Okay, cool. So if you don't know Carol, Carol is a 2015 film starring Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett. Um, and uh, it's set in like the early, mid to early, it's like, not, yeah, it's like 1950. It's like the mid 50s. It's mid 50s. Yeah, it's like. Poor New York. Yeah. Um, Rich white people. Yeah, yeah. So Rooney Mara uh, is a girl named Therese who has a boyfriend, works at a department store in the toy department. Um, and uh, has a chance encounter with Kate Blanchett's also married woman who's very, very rich, buying something for her daughter for Christmas. Um, and Kate Blanchett, um, whether deliberately or not, leaves a glove um, at the counter because they kind of have a flirty moment. And Rooney Mara ends up shipping it back to her, and they make this connection. And so they start seeing each other, um, you know, uh, seeing each other, not necessarily even clandestine. Like, it's not clandestine. It's just, we're getting lunch because we're women. Um, and then basically her, uh, Kate Blanchett's husband already knows that she, you know, um, already knows that she's a lesbian, um, or at least that she has those tendencies, however you define it in the Swings 1950s. Swings that way. Right. Child, in the she 1950s a lesbian. Perception. This man acting up. She a lesbian. That man was acting up for no reason. <laughs> when you're hooking up with Sarah Paulson. Yeah. 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 Meanwhile, he like her best friend what, is also one of her former partners. Um, and so he, he essentially... Uh, tries to box her out in their divorce by taking her child away. And it's a series of, like, kind of, like, hysteric... Not, I mean, not hysteric. That's not the right word. Um, like, it's, well, it's like she's she's doing a lot of things on impulse. Um, 
in at the result, you're giving me these looks of like, how dare you? You're just the crux of the story. I'm I'm getting to it. Okay, they, okay, okay. they then she then runs away with Bernie Mars character on a road trip to the not runs away. But the inciting incident is because she realizes that she could lose her daughter. Right. Yeah. That's I said that. Okay. Okay. I missed that. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. That that, that that she's trying to take her child away, and so the inciting and that's an inciting incident for her to try to run away with Bernie Mara. And they have this series of, of trysts with, in motels across the nation, and then they actually end up having to have to go back. And honest to God, I, and they kind of just they essentially... Did, they had one tryst. They had oh, one tryst. They had they one kind of, mega sex scene. I'm not yes. using my words in the best way. Anyway, um, yeah, they have sex like once, and then uh, essentially Kate <laughs> uh, Blanchett teams back up with Sarah Paulson to get Rooney Mara home safe, because then she has to turn back and return to her life and fix fix her, quote-unquote, fix her marriage. Um, she gets sent to a, a conversion therapist for a while, as if that's going to help anything. Um, and Rooney Mara's heart is broken. She has to kind of move on with her life um, without Kate uh, Blanchett's character, who is Carol, by the way, if I hadn't said that. Um, and she ends up deciding that, okay, fine, husband, you can have the child, but you're not going to keep me from her. Um, and then we're just going to, we're going to make this right for her, as, as right as it can be for her. And we're going to stop trying to create as much damage as possible. And she tries to reconnect with Rooney Mara's character. And Rooney Mara's character kind of shuts her down. Um, and they end up going their separate ways. Um, until until the very end of the movie when Rooney Mara leaves a party that she had gone to when they go their separate ways. And finds her at another like like establishment, dinner establishment. And they look at each other across it in the movie ends. Yes. Also, shout out to Slater Kinney, uh, uh, Carrie Brownstein of Slater Kinney being in it for 0.2 seconds. Ooh. Fun fact. Anyway, so that's Carol. That was me. That was me butchering the plot of Carol. Yeah. <laughs> I think you did a wonderful job. Thank you. I really do. You did Thank fine. you. Um, so, first initial thoughts about uh, the movie. Why didn't we pick Jenny. it? I know, Jenny. Just say what you need to say, honey. Say what you need to say. <laughs> say what you need to say. Um, the police are here. Um, <clears throat> no, the only thing I wanted to say is just, like, I think this movie is a good for the fact that it is it kind of just shining a light on this trope of lesbian films that is an insanely slow plot of barely touching and caressing, no matter what era it is, until there's just this extremely male gazy very explicit sex scene with no real connection between the two female relationship characters besides longing stares, barely conversations. And then this like giant super sexual thing happens. And then it kind of just keeps continuing or fizzles or just ends. And you can see that in like, for example, Blue is the warmest color or a portrait of a lady on fire. Oh my God, that movie. So many of these things. And um, Carol, what I like about this movie, though, more so in a lot of ways than those films, because those films are extremely triggering and extremely frustrating as a queer woman, watching them as a young queer woman, being like, this is what a lesbian relationship is like. (laughs) And it's just not. Um, But what I like about Carol is that the, the story of Kate Blanchett's character of Carol is really heartbreaking and fascinating where she's really trying to grapple with her identity while also not wanting to lose her child 
while also being stuck in this place and this time, while also trying to find solace and hope in this new idea or this new partner of Therese. And it's a really interesting, complicated character. And then Therese as a character and then Rumi Mara also playing her conflates into like the worst person and the worst character. And then the relationship makes no sense to me. But if the movie was literally Carol and just about Carol, I'd be all here for it. And if there was and like more her, Sarah Paulson, like, her storyline <laughs> is also like a very common one when you look at yeah. like for for that time period, especially like when I was like doing like my like extensive reading on queer history many moons ago. Like yes, there, I, yes. I, I, I I came across many stories of lesbian uh, of like lesbian women in like the you know the the fifties, sixties, seventies, you know where. You know, they come out as lesbian and, they, you know, they lose custody of their children. They never get to see right. them again. They end, up, they end up having no relationship with their children at all and have to, you know, grapple with, you know, losing their children and then having to build a new life with someone else right. at the same time kind of thing. So it's, it's I, 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 I appreciated it for that, that storyline because I, I just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an accurate Yeah, and important. Line. I've never really yeah. seen that in other, like, mainstream films. No, yeah. You know, so it is really important. I mean, I will say that 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 scene where she essentially stands up and is like telling her like lawyer, shut up. I know this is what what isn't what we planned, but this is what I want to do. And she has this just beautiful monologue about mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to apologize for like, I've already apologized for what I've done. I understand what I've done. I don't regret it, but I apologize for what it's like done to this family. I apologize to you, my husband, for what I can't give you. You deserve that. You can have it for someone else, but you need to stop trying to have me. And I need to make sure that my daughter, that I can see her and that she has the best life for her. And I understand that in the world that I live in, me being the sole custodian with what people are saying about me and what people know about me is not going to be what's best for her. And it's always going to be a fight um and let's just be fucking people um and that's probably it's the best scene in the movie and that's all Kate Blanchett I like, agree. like like doing there's everything. like a, there's actually a meme of her that like the gays use her it's like one where she's in like the, the lawyer's office and she's like really pissed off and she's shaking and she has like this face on and someone like took like yes. a, someone made a caption it says gay shaking gay shaking <laughs> she's a gay, gay fury My I favorite. Sometimes. it's very it's powerful the- the end of that scene where she just goes like, and we are not ugly people. Like, just yeah. so... And we are not ugly, ugly people. Ugly people. I was like, you tell them. Wasps. You, tell them. you are wasps. You are wasps. But they're... Oh, fun fact. I was watching this with my friend who is a wonderful and extensive like person who's worked in like uh, restaurant work and bartending work for a really long time. We were watching it and all of the martinis they have have two olives when she asks for an olive and it's super bad luck to have two olives you have to have either one or three and my friend was like someone needs to slap the set department or and it's intentional or it's maybe it's like, bad luck to be gay. it's an omen know. oh god it's an omen it's a weird like harvey weinstein bullshit that's like actually this is bad uh, this was the yeah. weinstein company right? this was this yeah. weinstein company written all over <laughs> you look at this, like, cinematography, it is so male gazy. It's like, look at Kate Blanchett's waist. Look at their titties. And then she's the weirdest thing when they have their sex scene. She opens up her shirt. They're both in goes, robes. Yeah, and then she goes, I never looked like that before. What is that? Who would say that? Why are you comparing your bodies? Like, <laughs> you are talking about every gay man having sex with another gay man who probably has a nicer body. 
Look, I mean... No, this isn't a gay man with a gay man. This is a gay woman with a gay woman. I'm not going to deny that I have a lot of uh, queer white friends who uh, are dating people who look exactly like them. Um, I'm not going to deny that that's a thing I've noticed. Um, that's all I'll say. because <laughs> that's just We just say they're cousins and keep it moving, child. <laughs> Well, it's like that. Well, no, it's like that game with straight couples. There's a there's an opposite for straight people, which is are like you see a picture of two of them, and it's like are they siblings or are they dating? Um, and that those are hilarious. I don't like it. That's that's there's gross. a there's a whole decoding <laughs> thing where it's like it's like if they have a certain like it's like depending on what the distance is from their chests when they're like like have arms wrapped around each other is like indicative of like are they siblings what? or are they somebody oh. like decoded like a million different pictures of like once she knows her siblings and knows her in a relationship quarantine has given us too much time on our hands <laughs> far too yeah. much far too much but anyways shall we continue into the depth of an angel flung out of space? yeah so tell me about why you're so hung up on this damn line it is the most funny thing i think i've ever heard not ever heard it though. It's one of the funniest I've ever heard in a film. So she says in the first the first time they have lunch together at the whitest, oldest place ever, um, <laughs> having cream spinach with poached eggs. Oh, that was martini. so nasty. <laughs> I said she did not say cream spinach. I know. On poached eggs, I was like, that is Give her a tortilla spicy. chip. I know. Give her a tortilla chip or some pita bread. <laughs> some, like, potatoes. Curry, it was the 1950s. We didn't she used a spoon, food. Lord oh Jesus. God. She picked up a spoon, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I know. Sure. No pita bread, no tortilla chip, just a spoon. And I said no. I know. Like, if you... Uh, anyways, it's like... <laughs> but the first time she looks at her and she goes, Oh, you're so, like, unique. And she's like, why? Oh out God, of why? space. Oh my God, my... And then she goes, Blum, out of space. And then they cut to all of the longing touches. And then finally it's like New Year's Eve. And then she's like, takes off her robe. And they have sex. And there's lots of nudity. And then she's like, my angel flung out of space. Flung? Honestly. What the hell is the word flung next to angel? That sounds like <laughs> flung, flung. Like, honestly, it's like, like what that. The fuck like, is that? you're my beauty, and we it's yeeted like you off whole, the planet. Yeah, exactly, it's like flung. It's honestly space. like that whole moment, that whole moment, and then just like the entire dynamic of their relationship. At least to me, as like a gay man, reminds me of just about every movie I've ever seen where it's an older gay man with a younger gay man and, yes. and, they're, and they're, you know they're at the diner or they're at the club and he's just looking at him and he's like 53 and the dude's like 20 22. He's just, and he's just mm-hmm. like ooh you're so young you're so free ooh and it's like why are you Mm-mm. it's just it's a weird like I, yes. I, I don't want to say power dynamic but just like it is though it's like this this like very like uh uh gazy weird dynamic yes. that is like it's 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 weird stuff you see you see it all the time in like gay films and like gay novels of like the 60s and 70s it's just well, yeah it just seems to be one of the only ways that like straight hollywood seems to define gay films they like, made kate blanchett a lesbian a lesbian you know they made kate blanchett a lesbian character into a gay man or just like it's an amazing. older gay woman, like it's yeah. just, it, it's interesting. Like yes, Clay, it's different because Carol is 
nuanced enough that it's not that she's like uber experienced like she seems to have only been with one partner yeah. and is really she's kind of a baby gay in the same way that she, like she Therese had the blessing is. of being with sarah paulson right like oh god i wish she had um, blessing. but like it's a big blessing but it is a complicated relationship and the thing that frustrates me the most about the film though is that i don't buy it i don't why do they like each other they don't have any conversations where it's like oh they're interested in the same thing or they they have a connection in this way and i get chemistry but you don't really i don't see the chemistry but jenny don't you know that she is an unhappy older housewife with a lot of money to spend and rooney mara is a mousy stares into the abyss and doesn't talk that much which clearly means she has a secret but like I think I think the whole thing they were trying to go for though is that is that whole thing where it's like I'm trapped but you're free and that's why I'm interested in you because I also want to feel free. I'm free because I'm a photographer amateur. Well, she well think about it. She's, it's also a class thing. Well, no, what I'm saying is that she's not like she's not like some housewife with a with a child. She's literally sure, just sure. she's you know out going to parties with people. You know, she's going on dates. Granted, it's with men, but like you know, she's she's out. She's an artist. She's a photographer. She's going out doing all these things that like Carol can't because she's literally a housewife with a child, and but she be looked at resentful. very differently. Yeah. I think she's at the point where she's probably no longer resentful about it. It's more so just like, I just want to be me. She just, she just loves her baby girl so much. I want to know what happened with the baby girl. The movie ended you know what? with a want I want, I want, a, room. I I want like, a Carol origin story with her and Sarah Paulson. That's what we need. That is what we need. Because maybe that was a time period where she was resentful of her of her life when she was with... Uh, uh, what's what's the character's name? Uh, Harge. Harge is the husband. No, Harge is the husband. Abby. 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 Is it Abby? Yes. That's going to be funny to people who listen to the journalist stuff this month. Um, A follow uh, at the journalist. Yeah. Um, Also, uh, but on the note of Harge, I did have two notes in here where like there was a moment where he was very, it was very clear that he knew uh, about her sexuality and he was like kind of cool with it and then later on once the child things go on I went oh no fuck him I was first I, I was like oh points. Honestly, I think he was less cool with it and more so like this is what's happening, but if you could keep this in check for me, that'd be great. And as soon as she started getting yeah. crazy again, he said, oh, no, 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 no. It feels like at this time period, it's like sexuality that's not just heterosexual is just more amusing than anything. Like the conversation that um, Therese has with... So, okay, I must have missed this. That's not... because. I never heard that that was her husband. I thought that was Harge? just her boyfriend. Harge? Harge is the Mara. husband of no, Kate No, Blanche. no, 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 no. Therese's. Yeah, no, Richard just, was just her boyfriend. He's just a boyfriend. Yeah, just a yeah, boyfriend. Okay. I, th- yeah. I thought I heard I thought they were married for a sec, too. No, because oh, he's no, like, no. I propose to you. Like, he, he wants to marry her. The funniest part, just, though, yeah. honestly, that that fight is so funny to me, though, because oh he's like, God. he said, he said, I proposed to you. She goes, I didn't ask you for anything. I know. I know. <laughs> she was like, um, all right, I didn't ask you for anything. So, um, and what about it? <laughs> and men, re- men really haven't changed since. Let's no. be real. Like um. Rooney Mara said, congratulations, <laughs> you played yourself. Yeah. But yeah, TJ, like what you were saying with, um, it kind of seems like, oh, it's fun until it's not type of thing. I think that's just so still a thing 
especially during that time with like queer women, like queer men is like a threat to our society, right? Where he's like, no, but like with women, it's like, especially women of that class during that time, starting from like the turn of the century, you have white women. Yeah, well, rich white women that went to women's colleges Mm -hmm. and lived with women. And it was pretty open that all these women were queer. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of women, including politicians and whatnot, that just, like, live either with women or on their own. Or, like, Abby's character, who's, like, a single woman living, like, in her own home. Um, And it was certainly, like, a threat. But it it hadn't, I don't think it really had become as much of a, like sexual excitement as it does like later on where it's like oh it's so hot two women kissing but like it certainly wasn't that much of a threat until it started to turn into like oh they won't have our babies um or they can leave us for this like they thought it was more of like this is a college thing that college girls do and then they meet the men and then things move on and certainly it wasn't so it's an interesting kind of dynamic with this i thought it was an interesting story I just find it funny that like literally everyone but Carol and Abby suck. I know. <laughs> like, like literally, I have so many notes there. It's like, well, first of all, yeah, like those three are probably the only good. Well, and obviously, like nothing's wrong with like Carol's daughter, but <laughs> Carol's daughter's the best girl. With Rindy, in the world. Rindy. Rindy. Um, I also think it's so funny when Harge just like showed up to Abby's house and was like, "Where is she?" And Abby's like, um, not here. And then he said, he said, I'm in love with her. And she said, I can't help you with that. He <laughs> closes the door. I'm closing the door now. I'm wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, hold on. Can we just repurpose that for at some point for a meme that has to involve Ross from Friends saying he's so <laughs> in love with Rachel and it just cuts to like, I can't help I you. I can't help that. you with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Or like, or like when Ross was like, "We were on a break." I can't. Good help for you, you boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm you did was still wretched. <laughs> oh no, but just like I, I have so many like notes of just how every person I notice who sucks. First of all, I said that Rooney Mara's deer in a headlights look looks is just unsettling, and she's always eating something sour. Okay, you know, I you, say- you know who else we got that with? Timothy Chamelet and call me by your name. Timothy Chamelet. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Champagne. I will Mar- not participate in name bashing on principle. I just want it for the record. Okay. okay. Um, this but, is as somebody who's always had their name butchered, so that's just a me oh, thing. <laughs> there's a fairly funny meme of, t- well, my first name's always butchered. But um, anyways. Um, my whole name is Virginia? always butchered. No, Jim. My whole, oh, my whole name gets butchered. butchered. Well, no, well, yeah, actually, my whole yeah. name, yeah. You, y'all have no room to talk. My whole name gets butchered. It ain't even American, child. The first name ain't even American. Same. And you know Americans can't say <laughs> Carmen Romaine Salad. Actually, someone used to call me that in, in high school. Really? Yes. <laughs> they used to call anyway, me Romaine. The other, the other shitty people. Um, why is it that that Italian guy who's in Orange is the New Black and Umbrella Academy always plays like that shitty... Adjacent good, character. He's like he's like the good guy, but he's really not. No, not at all. The one that like corners her. Yes, yeah. and, the and, thing he's like, he's, and then they're friends. He's like, later. come over, and then Rooney's like, I don't think we should, and then he kisses her anyway, and then I'm like, sir, that's sexual assault. Yep. <laughs> I can't help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um. Hard sucks. Her, her manager at the department store is unnecessarily mean to her. Right. That, I did think that was yes, weird. I didn't get that either. I didn't get that either. I was like, what, what is her problem? What is Gertrude's problem? Like, she is very upset. On top of Rooney Mara's character being so, like, sour and everything, by the end of it, she's so forking dramatic. Like, she, during that letter with Carol, she's, like, so sad. And she's, like, so angry and childish at Abby. And then she, like, pukes out of the car. I'm like, girl, get yourself together. Like, Honey, I that's my Friday sad. night. What you talking about? That's my I Friday know, night. I know, but she's driving cross country. She's not having like a Friday night. She's like, pu- <laughs> it's insinuating from the shots that she's puking out of like, grief. she's so upset and like full of grief. And I'm like, this isn't about you. Literally, she's just trying to save her relationship with her daughter, trying to figure things out. You're 23. Go fuck Carrie Brownstein and call it a day. They bring up Carrie Brownstein, who's actually one of the only other queer women in the whole freaking movie, her and Sarah Paulson. Well, uh, no, but there's also that moment when she's in the store buying the CD and she catches the two lesbians in the back of the, in the back corner. And I was like, and I was like, I know for a fact those women were part of Daughters of Belitis. I know it. (laughs) But also, can we just, can we just acknowledge when the movie basically turned into a horror movie when the spy guy comes in? Yeah, where she's where she's looking where down, she's, she's getting she's ice, getting and then the ice. thing slams down, and the guy yes. is like, "Oh!" I said, "Child, I went, what in oh, the Ted important. Bundy? What in the Ted Bundy, child?" What in the Ted Bundy? And right. I was like, at first, I was just like, "Oh, maybe it's just like a dude somewhere along the way." And then when he came back, no, nope, it's dressing, a spy. Dressing it's a spy. in the room while spying on them. My literal note. My literal note. And I said this out loud. I was like, "Ah, oh, he's a bitch, man." No, because I'm just thinking, look, if you have to hire a spy, maybe it's time to let go. But also we skipped over a scene that made me laugh out loud. I think there were like two or three scenes. I literally laughed out loud whether or not they were supposed to be funny because I was laughing at the second time he showed up. Where it seems like it was at the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like before. uh Bef- like this was obviously before I knew what and en- what ends up happening. So it right. seems like he's like flirting with right uh uh Therese and then Kate Blanchett enters and like there's a point like basically almost through the scene where I start laughing out loud because it's like Honey, you wish you could compete with Kate Blanchett. I'm sorry. It's not <laughs> happening. They're looking at each other with that look. Yeah, they're like, literally. Kate, Kate <laughs> yeah. Carol never failed to serve in that movie. Every scene, really? the waist was snatched, the mug was beat, the hair she was laid back. And listen, there is no other woman in that film who could have. Maybe Sarah. Sarah could have done it, but like Sarah was always like in her robe or something. But Carol was just snatched at every moment of the film, and I was I like, know. yo. They made that film, and they were just like, listen, we're going to give you the biggest costume budget. It's the fur coat for me. It was the fur coat. The this fur was coat. this was after she played the stepmother in uh, Cinderella, yes? Because mm-hmm. it's literally, like, almost the same fucking... <laughs> Look. No, you're yeah. right. Oh. God, we love her. Uh, can I acknowledge one more one more trope uh, of... I guess it's probably more romance movies, but I've detected it in queer movies as well. The... I'm interested in you. Show me your art. Yes. <laughs> hey, I do that. I'm interested in your art. When I want some booty. Sure. <laughs> but like, oh God. 
Oh, you paint? I'd love to come and see your paintings. Bring me to your studio. Bring me to your studio. Where's my good perfume to the studio? And like literally my last note is that just like one thing I did notice is that the music is doing all the work for the relationship in this movie. The music is, is very good. Honestly, the music is so good. Like honestly, I would just put that on and go and just like, you know, do some yoga or something. But not yeah. only that, but like like literally like right after they meet for the first time and have their first meal, there's an entire like montage that's just set to music. And I was looking at their faces, especially Rooney Mara's face, and I'm like, you're not giving me anything. No. This music is giving me everything. Kate is always giving face. Let's not mistake. Kate is always she giving is face. Like, the relationship's not giving any face. There's but is no that face perhaps is that perhaps maybe a problem then? If Kate's always giving face, then it's like, well, it's it's almost like a cheat code. It's like, well, then yeah. It's it's like it's like it's like the music. You know, it's like you can't well, if fight you the put, bone structure. If you put good music under anything, it seems like a million times better. Like when the Cubs did the impossible in 2016 and ruined all of our collective karma when they somehow won the World Series and people started putting it to like Celine Dion and like the Titanic theme and it became this magical moment and then you know, a week later, the the end time started. But uh, <laughs> I remember that specifically. Yeah, because I think like a week, a or week two, before a Trump one. It was literally <laughs> like a week or Child, two later. This is going right over my head. I do I, not I was speak. like, you're talking about sports on the Pride episode? <laughs> I don't speak okay. ESPN, baby. I don't speak <laughs> ESPN. A better, I watch ice skating on ESPN. A better example historically is actually that people would put like footage and images of like 9-11 cleanup to Enya's Who Can Say. Um, and so like that song became like number one on the charts because that was all like the internet videos and all the newscasts after the fact. And so like, yeah, you can make any, and you can justify a war by putting, by putting a tragedy set to Who Can Say and then going to war with a country that's unrelated. Um, but the one thing for the music that I did find hilarious, I don't even remember what scene it was, but Rooney Morris says something about like, oh, something back home. And Kate Blanchett goes, yes, home. home. And then it's dramatic music. And I'm like, well, we know what's going to happen now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as much as we are critiquing this movie, I'd still go watch that shit again. <laughs> I wouldn't. It's slow as Methuselah. Like, Eric, Methuselah's old. There, there is nothing... There is nothing slower than Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'm sorry. That, no, no. It's in the realm. Personally, the only thing slower is, a per, is, is actually watching footage of a snail. It really is. That movie is so long. I have one friend that loves that movie, and I just don't understand. So, final final wrap thoughts on, on Carol. Uh, I Everything we said can pretty much be summed up by the SNL sketch. Uh, of uh, period lesbian drama that they just put exactly. out. Um, it's just another one of them. I think yeah, that except- uh, Kate Blanchett carried the film. Of course. Yeah. I, I, I know that on the last day of shooting, her back was tired from doing all that carrying. You know. No, I think the only thing that Carol surprised me in stepping a little farther out of the lesbian period drama trope was the interesting historical context and nuance of Carol's story and character about her child and about her marriage and about 
her place in the world and the sacrifices she had to make. I found that to be a lot more interesting than typically like, for example, a portrait of a lady on fire, which is just like, so everyone's like at this equal footing. Like both of them are kind of going through a similar ish issue. Like, yes, in portrait of a lady on fire, one of them's about to get married and the other one isn't, but like they're on equal footing. Carol has so much more at stake um, than Rudy Mara's character. And that's why Carol is like, I wish I just told her to wait. I had to deal with this shit for a second, and now I want to try again because I do love her. So I found that to be interesting. I also liked the ending. I like the ending kind of leaving you on a will they won't they. I also like, as a person who is from New Jersey, I love the fact that they that her and Abby were both from the same exact area that I am from in New Jersey. Oh, love. Like when Abby was like when Abby was like, I found a redhead in Paramus. I was like, Ooh, I go to the mall in Paramus, child. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Can you handle a redhead? Can you handle a red? I said, Girl, you better stop. <laughs> TJ, thoughts? Uh, my thoughts basically come just from more of an objective like I kind of just was viewing this uh, as objectively as I could from like a film standpoint in the sense that um, well first off it needs to be said that yes while the story is I guess adapted from a book book written by a woman and the screenwriter who did said adaptation, adaptation is a woman needed more women uh, behind the scenes in the sense of needed a female director, needed a female cinematographer, needed a female editor. Like, if you're going to do... Really? It didn't have a female editor? Because I know that no. that's a more common thing to have a, a female editor. No. So this is my thing. It's like, if you're going to tell a story that's very clearly about women, it's a thing of like, well, then maybe more women should be involved, don't you think? Like, it's just sometimes some and sometimes you really can just tell. Like when we talked about Love and Basketball all the way back in the Valentine's Day episode, directed by a woman, and it's like mm, you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> it, there's there's little things. There's just like okay, um, but and it's like I've said this even for something as far away from Carol as you can get as like episode nine. Hey, instead of J.J. Abrams, maybe get a woman to direct the end to Ray's story. Like, for fucking once. How about for one time we have a female director of a fucking Star Wars movie that stars a woman? But... Ooh, could you imagine Colin Trevorrow's script with, like, uh, what's-her-face from Wonder Woman? I don't wanna! (laughs) (laughs) I don't fucking Uh, want to! (laughs) I feel but, bad for not remembering the director of Wonder Woman. It's uh, Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins. I knew it was Patty. I was like, wait. What? Yeah. Um, but um, so my thing is that while I did think it was very methodically paced, uh, as some people have said about Randy Orton, ha, wrestling reference after our wrestling episode. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, although it was... Uh, Hello, hush. Uh, that's that's a reference we never get to make on this show. It's <laughs> a good. It's a good one. Um, but I do think while it was methodically paced, I never quite minded because, and this is the thing. Carol for me was a solid movie, 
that I didn't dislike. It will never be one of my favorites, but I thought it was fine and well constructed. And that is very deceiving. This is like me and Trev touched on this a couple episodes back of like, it's almost the hardest to talk about a movie that's just competent. That's not good. That's not bad. But it's just like it just ticks all the boxes and does everything you're supposed to do. So it's like that's why it's like, and that's kind of alludes to the whole thing I was saying earlier about like if Kate Blanchett is constantly serving, if Kate Blanchett is constantly Kate Blanchett in a movie, then it's like, well, I don't really know how I'm supposed to like critique that in a way because it's like I kind of was rooting for them to get together, but I think it was more so just because like they're too likable. People like I like Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. and she's not doing anything wrong. Right. So and like like you guys have been saying, like her story is very nuanced and complicated and layered. And so it's like just on surface level, it's like there's no reason for me not to care. So I don't not care. But it's not the same as, like, being actually invested. It's not the same thing as being, like, I want, I need for them to get together. It's just more of a thing of, like, okay, I'm glad they got together because I was rooting for them. But, again, it's, like, it's not the fucking same thing at all. <laughs> um, And, yeah, I do also agree with the whole, like, it is an imbalance of stakes, Absolutely. There's a reason the movie's called Carol. Like, they try to put both of them on the cover and give both of them top billing and make it seem, in terms of uh, scenic editing, that it's both of them are the main character. But Carol is the main character. Like, Carol is the person that... If you wrote Therese differently, if Therese had different stakes, if there was just more going on, in a way... Like, it'd be... She's a communist. It almost maybe would have even have made more sense if maybe Therese was already engaged. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it's like, yeah. I almost... I watch this movie, and I am kind of like, it's the wedding singer issue, which I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast, but... For me, when I go back and think about The Wedding Singer, a movie I genuinely used to watch constantly as a child because it was just it was one of those movies that are there. And that's what you do when you're a kid. You just watch what's around. Sure. Um, but like I watched Wedding Singer constantly and would constantly quote it and would have my favorite moments and rewind it and stuff like that. I wore out that VHS. But nowadays, when I think about it, the biggest fucking plot hole is something the movie itself brings up. Why does Julia, Drew Barrymore's character, why is she even engaged to a guy she clearly doesn't even fucking like, let alone love? And it's like the movie has no answer. The movie straight up asks her, why are you with Glenn? And then it's just not. I don't know. I just feel like there are a lot of people who have been in relationships where they're like, I do not, this is not for me, but they stay in it anyway. Well, it's just a thing of like, from a film perspective, then it's the writer's job to flesh that out then to give us at least an inkling of like, give us an idea. They'd have to make it a, they'd have to make it a drama for that. 
as to as to why as to why if it's a thing of them of just like well maybe they're not confident enough or maybe they're you know they like the security but or just it's just some something just you gotta give me something because if I'm left speculating I mean he like, got this money he did buy her a CD player he got money and so so TJ what you're saying is that this Carol does it well by not having her actually be engaged because it's like yes she doesn't love it well. No, the issue is that I wasn't saying that, you know, that would be a uh, a fix is to, like, have her be engaged. I'm more so wondering while watching it. I'm like, well, why is she with the guy? Because even in the first scene they have together, it's clear she doesn't even like this guy. So that's just every time they're in a scene together now, I am preoccupied with that question of, like, well, then why are you even entertaining this? It's a it's a question that refuses to be answered. And now it's this elephant in the room every time there's a scene with the two of these characters that distracts me. Sometimes it's hard to say no. Also, it's an argue you could argue with Carol at least on again on a historical context for a woman during that time. Like oh, yeah. it's safe. It's the safe measure to be with like this guy who's nice and sweet and obviously really likes her and takes care of her. And got a better job for her or whatever, like whatever that awful asshole stuff he says in that fight. But like, at least in that, I get in like the I, I totally get your argument. I was like kind of whispering over to Trevor, like that's pretty much any Nora Ephron movie, like sleeps in Seattle. It's like why the hell is she with like that guy when she clearly doesn't like him? And that whole movie's a mess. I love it so much, but it's a mess. Um, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying though. In this movie, I can get behind why she's with that guy. Because it's not that serious, and it kind of is serious, but obviously she's not interested in it, and it makes sense for the historical time in that period. They're all just, like, young people working at the department store, trying to be artists in, like, the burgeoning late 50s, early 60s of New York. You do what you're supposed to do. Like, go to the, was it the Gaslight, or what was it? I don't even know. know (laughs) But yeah, uh... For the most part, it's like Carol was well constructed, so it's very easy to kind of like just go, I liked yeah. it because people default to if they don't actively dislike something, they default to I liked it, I thought it was good. And yeah. I think it's difficult to find that line of like I think I think we really just need to start pushing back more on the whole like, well, if it if you aren't actively trying to watch the movie again or recommend it to somebody else, don't say it's good. Like, that's the thing. And it's difficult to find that line sometimes because I think it is a film's job and the crew of that film to do everything you're supposed to do and do it correctly. Because even some of the cinematography in the film is really good. And like we said, the music is very good. And some scenes are acted extremely well. And there is a lot of tension and, you know, it kind of strings you along for a little bit in a certain way. But if you're not ending the film going like, man, that was good. It's not good then. You can't say it's good then. And it's like that's the issue that I have and the kind of tightrope of like, I can't say that movie was bad. But... It was it was competent. It is a competent movie. Sure. 
And that's where I will end on that. All right. That's a wonderful ending, TJ. Moonlight. <laughs> Moonlight one. Thank you. Welcome. Moonlight one. Now, if you want to talk about slow ass fucking movies, I Moonlight know. moves what? like fucking molasses sometimes. Are you on you are wrong? Oh my are you on crack? God. Is it crack? Is you are you it's crack, loser. isn't it? It's on TJ, sorry. That movie is the most well-timed films I've, or well, like, paced films I've ever seen. There were so many times, I literally, I was just, because I had to watch this on my PS4, I couldn't watch it on a computer, so I was just, like, kind of nudging the DualShock, so then it goes to 1.5, and it just sped it up a little bit, while I could still hear the dialogue, because I'm just like, okay, some of these pauses. You make a bad decision. Some of these pauses. Moonlight is no. an art piece. Have you watched any other Barry Jenkins films? Like I, um, I probably like, wouldn't know. Like what? the Have... Street could talk. Like, that's a great that's film. The point. It's a great watch. Film. Watch like, the Underground Railroad on Prime. Yeah. Amazon Prime. That's like a really good like Barry Jenkins, like quintessential Barry Jenkins. But no, I agree with Jenny. Like it's a very well timed movie. Because you have him as you know a little kid, then you have him as a teenager, then you have him as an adult, and then that's it. So, so before uh, before we get into like analysis, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna do the disclaimer we did when we did Parasite, because clearly this is a movie where it's like if you haven't seen it, a lot of people will put it on their lists, and so like spoilers, obviously. So, yeah. plot of Moonlight revolves around uh, this kid, uh, Chiron, who uh, goes by three names technically. He goes by he goes by Chiron the whole movie, but. Um, it def- defines his life in three eras when he's, uh, you know, maybe, how old do you think he is in that? Like, he's like Probably 11. Like, uh, maybe like no. nine. 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 He's like nine. nine years old um, when he first, like, started, when trouble first starts creeping into his life and everybody calls him little when that happens. And that's part one of the movie. Part two of the movie, he goes by Chiron and that's his, like, late teens, um, like, f- figuring out his sexuality. And then the third part of the movie, uh, he goes by Black, which is a nickname that his lover from the course of the movie uh, gave him. uh, And that's when he is an adult. It's played by three different actors across that time. Um, It is a child growing up in Miami. uh, And he gets beat up by the other boys for not being as masculine or doing the right things um, that they all are also internalizing from their environment. Um, his mother, uh, slowly gets, uh, addicted to heroin, um, and he, by happenstance, meets the guy who ends up being the heroin dealer, but he's very kind, played by, Mar- uh, Mahershala. Mahershala Ali, um, and, uh, his wife, who's played by the incredibly gorgeous in this movie, Janelle, Janelle Monet. Monet. Um, and they kind of take She's so underrated. She's so underrated. I fucking love her so much. The fact that Janelle Monet is ushering this sweet boy into queerhood, or just like accepting him for who he is, I will get into that later. Uh, so they kind of take him under his wing every now and then. Mahershala Ali's character really becomes a mentor for this kid where there is none, and his mom is not really cool with that. Um, but his mom is slowly slipping down the, the path of, of drug abuse. Um, and then eventually they ha- they kind of have to cut ties because it's not their kid. Uh, skip to his teen years. Uh, Mahershala Ali's character has died, but he still has a relationship with Janelle Monet. Um, and he's dealing with the same people that would give him a hard time in high school or give him a hard time in middle school now, taking it out on him in high school, um, while also reconnecting with his friend from childhood, Kevin, 
who is by pretty much is what we kind of figure out. Um, they end up on a beach one day, the same beach where Mahersha Ali teaches uh, Shiran to swim. And uh, they end up having a moment um, where uh, Kevin uh, pleasures him on the beach. Um, and they have this connection. That's, that's the nicest way I could think to. He gives him a hand job on the beach. I was going to be like, like pleasant about it. Um, what, the 19th And that becomes a. <laughs> but then over the. They have then, candy uh, on the dry land. Anyway, uh, but the problem is that Kevin is very much a people pleaser and looking out for himself. And so the bullies get Kevin to beat up uh, Chiron. Uh, what? What are you doing, Jenny? I have, I don't think it's that he's trying to be a people pleaser. I think that he's trying to save himself. He's trying to save himself. Yes, that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. We he will, does say later in the film. There are details like, I later. I have details I, and yeah. critiques later. Like details where it's like, oh, Also, always, Kevin is gay. I think he's also gay. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin did whatever, what, what just about every other gay guy I know did was have a girlfriend in high school or fuck a couple girls in high school. Yeah. Well, I mean, he got somebody pregnant, and so, but not that that does make him gay, but like that's also a note. Um, so Kevin ends up getting in the precarious situation where now he is been he's being told by dangerous kids to beat to beat the shit out of Chiron. Um, Chiron gets kind of reprimanded for not fighting back. Um, and then over the, you know, eventually he brings, Chiron gets to the point where he then storms into class and finds the bully and smacks him on the back with a chair. Iconic. And the kid's just out. And Chiron, of course, lights out. And Chiron, of course, uh, gets taken away by the cops and goes to Juvie. Um, and so then we skip to, he now lives in Atlanta. He is going by black. Atlanta. And he Atlanta. has kind of become, he kind of becomes the same character that Herschel Ali like role models for him to be, he starts stealing drugs um, uh, and gets a call from Kevin. And Kevin basically is just trying to reconnect with him. He ends up, when he's going back to see his mom, who's in rehab um, and is now working at the rehab facility, goes the little extra mile down Florida um, to see Kevin, who works as a cook in a diner. And they reconnect and have the moments where, you know, uh, essentially, uh, Chiron just kind of melts back into his adolescent self with their connection. Um, and then he ends up kind of confessing, like, no one's still ever touched me since you, you know, it's still, they never really directly say it, but it's like, it's always kind of been you and I still want this. Um, and then they end up, and then Kevin at the end of the movie ends up holding him and we kind of, you know, assume that they might pursue a relationship, um, at that point. Um, or maybe I don't know. It's again, it's open ended because you can't, you can't let, you can't let, you can't let queer movies have a have a marriage scene. Clearly, oh, no. um, and that's that's the thing is that like so to, to to TJ's criticism, I guess what I'm saying is like yeah, there's actually not a lot of plot. Um, you know, there's a lot of symbolic moments there's a lot of emotionally focused moments there's a lot of subtext, a lot of subtext um, and a lot of things that like get that get brought up and then kind of come back later through thematic means like like uh how Mahershal Ali's nickname when he was in Cuba was blue and there's a lot of blue motifs and blue blinking lights um in like the transitions between scenes and between like epics and ep epochs in his life and so like there's a lot of that stuff going on so like I could understand how how that could feel like it's it's slow. Yeah. This is also based off of a play called Black Boys Look Blue in the Moonlight. Yeah. Um, and 
to your point too, TJ, I think you have to buy into this type of film. This is a art house for a, a mainstream audience. This is the beginning of A24, not the beginning, but like... They're on the scene. Yeah, Renaissance of A24 or whatever, but like, this film is a art house for mainstream film, and if you are not buying into an entire emotional journey happening in one shot through three different types of lights happening, I get it that it's really fork and slow. But like, if you... To me, I think this film does such a great job of blending those two, because I love really slow art house films, but this isn't one of those. It's also one of those films where there there is a plot, but the way yeah. that the, but the way that the plot is followed, it's more so in what I like to call like more so a series of events than like literal scene after scene. After, it's more so like these series of events that kind of just happen and how it's filmed. It's yeah. like you know you just you know black out next thing and you know it's like these little bits and pieces. Yeah. That you can follow. feel like it's a play. Yeah. So I want to give TJ a rebuttal before we get into like other aspects of the movie. Oh hell yeah! Please, I want to hear more about it. Uh, about what? Why? <laughs> like we all claim it's not slow. What are you? What? What's your defense here? Well, okay. I just want to first point out that I don't think from a scenic editing standpoint it's so it's it's very much a momentary editing standpoint so i'm saying like the entire movie doesn't seem slow but there are moments in scenes where like i think one of the biggest things for me was the diner scene as a whole because it's like sometimes I, it feels like you go like a full 60 seconds of just looks, 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 maybe some ambiance, looks, looks, and then someone speaks. And that's what it's like that thing of like, okay, if you give me something to actually like absorb visually, that's kind of different. Or if you give me like a thematic idea to ruminate on in the midst of these pauses. That's another thing also. But sometimes it's just, and it's also just, it doesn't help because that's kind of what what Chiron is like in the sense of sometimes he just takes a long time to say what he needs to say. So that just kind of compounds the very thoughtful nature of a lot of the editing in the sense of like sometimes somebody can say something and then it feels like there's like 10 to 15 seconds before we get a response. And it's just like, that's why sometimes I kind of just, it wasn't so much that I thought it was a strike against the movie, but for me personally, I did kind of nudge that analog stick on the, on my controller just to get that 1.5 to go. All right. I kind of feel like I know where this is going, but like, let's just get, Let's just get there a little quicker and then, okay. Um, so, so what I would say is that like, while, while if that was something that didn't work for you, to me, that makes the movie. Yeah. Um, I think looks make this movie. Cause like, I have a couple like notes that were And I don't disagree with said. that. I, I think that, that first of all, for the record, Chiron's whole, the whole thing where they finally, at the end of the movie, Kevin's like, these are grandma rules. I feed you and you have to talk to me. That's Chiron the entire fucking movie. He's yeah. always like revealing something about himself in front of a plate of food because somebody's feeding him. And so I love that. 
But also, like, I think I think that's what makes the final scene in Kevin's kitchen, where they're they're literally just it's all body language and it's all eyes. And to me, it's like it's not even like a directorial or editing moment for me in that moment. I think that's a performance moment. Like, yeah. I think their performances in that moment, those two actors, just it, it makes me crumple in the same way that that Chiron finally is because like that's the that's one of the cutest like literally the entire like last third of the movie I just constantly when with the looks they're exchanging all the time I was just like oh they're cute they're cute they don't know it but they're cute and just like when he's with Kevin because we see him very momentarily as this drug dealer with a tougher exterior that we really haven't seen with him yet and then when he's with Kevin he is like he's like giggly and like like his body language just totally changes to be like like not insecure but like he's like he's not he doesn't have to put on that front and he just crumbles when he's with kevin and i love that that's what really made it for these like their performances and those looks really like made that for me which goes to when he's a child the actor that played adult sherman is like insane he was in bird box I ever saw Bird Box. <laughs> um, That's the only thing I know him from. Um, yeah. Anyways. But just, yeah, the outpouring of, like, of his, like, everything else that he's built up across his life through the use of those looks, I thought was fantastic. Um, but, yeah, other things <laughs> about the movie. Masculine violence. Oh, yeah. About oh, yeah. is the most heartbreaking. The most heartbreaking and important part of the movie to me is... The lunch scene with Kevin leading into the fight. And Kevin, like, imploring Chiron, stay down, stay down. Just please stay down. And this idea of just, like, no matter what, he's trying to protect himself, and it's breaking his heart, and there's just all, all of this, like, innerness. And you even see that at the beginning with, um, with Juan, the, um... Marshall Ali's Yeah, Marshall Ali's character. Like... In the scene, the last scene in Little, where they're sitting at the table, and you have Little say, like, do you sell drugs? And Mahershala is just, like, silent. And then he's like, my mom, does my mom take drugs? And then he just, like, silent. You can, like, see him starting to, like, kind of try to cry, but he can't. And then, like, Little just walks out, and that scene ends. Like, all of that masculine silence. (laughs) And, like, also, like, within like the black community within the Miami black community within the Miami black drug dealing community and like this whole just like compounding 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 and then you have like him as a teenager with the freaking teacher or whoever where she's like yeah like if you were a real man then yeah oh, that, that was the you. most like bizarre my literal notes it's went like... for the fight and then directly after with that are no because I'm like, if you wanted to tell, because if you wanted them to tell you, now he's really not going to tell you because you just, you know, emasculated him. No, um, no but this, yeah, sorry. Well, well I just think that like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the masculinity that you know I'm seeing, just from my perspective, is just literally just a product. Well, not fully a product, but the majority of it is just a product of the environment that they're in, where it's very much, you know, people are just surviving and kind kind of thing. Um, so it's like you have to be, uh, you have to be strong. You have to have 
a certain amount of thick skin to survive in the kind of environment that they're living in. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from. And it and it and it's pervasive through the first two thirds of the movie. Like, I think the, yeah. the final one is the first time where we get to not focus on that. But like my very first note from the first two seconds of the movie was like, I was unclear until I was given more information if they were using the F uh, gay slur uh, culturally while terrorizing him because that's what their masculinity they're trying to deprive him of or if they actually knew that that he was exhibiting queer behavior um and maybe it's a mix so you know sometimes i find that uh i find that some that most times it's like people kind of just know kind of thing like people just pick up on i mean his mom yeah his mom knows every because at this point everyone knows um, and people pick up on those things. It's just not spoken about um, because of the environment that they're in. Because I know, like, when I was, like, first getting getting bullied, everyone knew that I was gay. Everyone knew. Um, but it wasn't until, like, I came out and owned it that people stopped bullying me. However, I was in a very different environment. A very, um, you know, a middle to upper middle class neighborhood, you know very very liberal uh neighborhood so like when i come it wasn't a big deal but i think in that that particular environment if he had come out and owned it it would have been a very different story and if anything his life probably would have gotten worse so it was either you know leave people wondering um and try to create a a a persona that will help him survive or it was like literally be destroyed yeah well i mean and so like more examples just to throw them all out there like um, you know, when, when Kevin has to do that fake fight with him to like show him how to, how to not, how to act, how to, how to present himself, which follows Kevin through the rest of his life. Um, and then the kids doing the dick comparisons, like that is something that is such a, like, like imprinted thing from the masculinity, like the masculinity that they're surrounded by that, that I just found it funny. I was like, oh yeah, God, yeah, God, guys do that. And it, little boys do that. And it's not necessarily that healthy um or at least it could be healthy but it's not um so yeah and also oh this is the last thing i wanted to note uh they they, he says chiron but i did have the subtitles on so i know that it's spelled c-h-i-r-o-n that in greek is chiron who was a centaur and the centaurs were known for being super violent but chiron was a healer and a pacifist which i think which makes sense yeah, character. that's a thing. There's some big, yeah. That's actually, I somehow got through all my notes. The only other thing, the only other notes I had are like, like very, uh, like cinematography. Like I just, uh, I felt, I, I want to applaud the actor playing teenage uh, Chiron. Just the, the loneliness and fear that he projects in every scene hit me so damn hard. Every time I looked at him, it was it it was it it hit me so hard. Um, and then the scene going back to that scene, the scene where he asks uh, Juan about drug dealing, that that's the scene that they showed at the Oscars, and I think for good reason. Like I think that is quite possibly one of the most important scenes of the movie as a whole, not just for the characters' development, but also just like we don't see scenes like that in these movies. It's always like discovery through actions, whereas this one, it's literally just what, you know, the kid just asked, what is this? And 
is that okay? Is it okay to be gay? And they, like, surprisingly, the drug dealer and his wife are the healthy ones in the situation. Because it's Janelle Monet. Right. And they're the ones who say, no, it's totally fine to be gay. It's not okay to be called that word. This is, that's being used to make them feel bad. And you can figure out if you're gay whenever it feels right. And I was like, this scene is so goddamn important just in the grand scheme of cinema. It's a super important scene. That scene also kind of like made me sad because he was literally in an environment where um, no one was equipped to deal with a queer child or queerness. Of yeah. Any kind. Like no one knows anything. Like no one has any type of knowledge of anything queer, period. So it's like, how do you help someone like that when they're, when, when, you know, it's clearly if they're queer, but you literally have no tools to help them or to guide them. There's no one you can turn them to. Or whatever it is. Like, there's literally nothing. In compounding that, he's going back into an abusive household for, like, obviously through the horrificness of the deterioration of drug addiction and abuse. And that, I think, was the most horrifying thing of the whole thing is, I think, some of the, the one of the biggest themes of the film and why the film ends the way it does and why the final shot is the way that it is, is that it's kind of the coulda, shoulda, woulda, or, like, what if. What if he could have stayed with? It's funny we have a Therese, whether it's Teresa and a Teresa. And a Teresa. Teresa. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, that Teresa earlier. Teresa and Yeah, I love that. Um, but like, what if he? Because like Teresa, of course, I think would have opened, welcomed him with open arms. And if he could, if he, I don't know. In a lot of ways, I think she would have. Oh, Teresa is. Teresa. Is, Teresa's, uh, I thought it was his mom for a second. I was like, no, we. No, they made it clear. No, but like, if if he. What if he stayed there? What if, like, just all of these things, right? Like, and it's just so heart-wrenching. But what I like about this film, though, is that there's so many movies out there that are just, like, like just, like, sadness porn of, like, there, there's no point to this other than it's just supposed to wrench your heart. And I, I, I don't agree. I don't think that this film does that. I think that it's, like, a coulda, shoulda, woulda of, queer identity and so many people at least I know in my life and like my family's life growing up in the south that have like hidden their identity and then lived the rest of their lives being either single or whatever and always knowing but never feeling okay pushing for it because they weren't in the right place at the right time they weren't in the right community and it's miserable and it's kind of like Carol in that way in some ways as well where it's just like I mean that's kind of like Sharon too because like even at the end of the at the end of the yeah. film when he's in the kitchen with Kevin and he's like, you are literally the only other man that I've ever let touch me in that entire time and it's been 10 years. Right. Well, also that beach scene is like is incredibly vulnerable and that's what I thought made it like made it so beautiful is that like those, just the, the, the performance of, of that act with the two of them with their reactions to it um, in the moment, I, I was really touched by that. I, I don't think we see I think we often see male sexuality, even when it is to gay men. Yeah, as aggressive, and it got to be soft in this moment, and I really appreciated that. Like Lovecraft Country. Yeah, honestly. I mean, but... What, the gay But also, no. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, with with, uh, Montrose. I was like, wait, not with Atticus. He's definitely... Child, violent gays. He'd be somebody's Um, Um... Uh, Matt Rose is I've one, said, I've said one all violent gay. He'd be the one to punch me in my nose. 
All right. Uh, I, I've said all my notes. It's the floor is everyone else's. Um, oh, I do also think that like, because I've seen this movie a couple of times now and I find, I found that I appreciated a little bit more like the set. This is, this is probably the third time I've watched it probably. And I think I've appreciated it maybe like the third time around because the first time that I watched it, I had a very hard time connecting with it because my circumstances of like coming out and coming into my queerness and all the kind of stuff was so just on the other side of the field compared to like what he went through. So I was kind of trying to figure out um, what exactly to connect to here because not a lot of um, QPAC get movies and let alone get to be the main character. It's like, you know, for every 10 movies they make about some white queer person, you know, we get a moonlight or we get a, uh, you know, uh, the color purple or we get, you know, tangerine or something like that. And they're, right. and they're so far and few between. And usually the movies are usually based around some type of trauma. Like, I'm still waiting for, like, a black version of, like, Love, Simon. And that's why I could never get around right. seeing Love, Simon. Like, I was happy that, like, you know, everybody else was, like, gagging over Love, Simon. They were so excited about it helping with this, that, my parents, da, da, da. And for me, I was going, okay. And, and, like, and, like, for me personally, I was going, oh, great. Another movie, another movie about a white twink in high school who gets a boyfriend and discovers himself. And, and then, the, and of course, a black character is a supporting character. Right. And like, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around that. And I, and it didn't make me excited about the movie. And I was like, okay, when, when do black, you know, when do, you know, QPOC get to have films on a consistent basis and TV shows on a consistent basis where they are the main character and it's not like fucking miserable, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, it's so like, it's so like going into watching Moonlight for like the third time. It was less me trying to connect to the, to the movie and more so trying to just appreciate what was happening in the movie since there was no real way for me to connect on any level with anything that he went through, it was more so me just like, even though it was, you know, a black gay character, it was more so me on the outside looking in because of how uh, different our circumstances were. Um, so like, I more so appreciated, you know, the things that were happening in the movie and the storylines and, and the, and the acting and the, the cinematography and the music and all that kind of stuff. TJ. Honestly, I just don't this I don't have a a ton on this. Um I've gone on record on this podcast I think a couple times now of like dramas are hard with me. Um drama just will never be my genre. It is going to it for me to really love a genre it has to be like really good. Um like and it has to be very specific. It has to like specifically get me um so which is almost impossible well no it's not impossible but it's like there are very few dramas i would watch like twice it's like once i absorb them it's like okay that was good i won't watch it again probably unless i have to is it like it's like you feel like you have to personally connect to the story for the drama to to, uh, to resonate with you at all is it it's, that kind of thing? It's partly, it's partly, the, I wouldn't say more so the story. I would say maybe more the characters than the story. But also, mm. it has to have a certain energy about it. Because, like, me being somebody who, again, I think I have gone on record in this podcast. Um, me as somebody who does deal with depression and anxiety, um, 
something that I do need from my entertainment or my media in general is just a sense of a little bit of escapism, just in the sense of like, Mm. look, 99% of the rest of my days are kind of shitty, honestly. They feel a little shitty. So to watch a drama where things are also kind of shitty just isn't that appealing unless there's a lot of comedy sprinkled in or there are at least characters with a lot of charisma or characters that I genuinely relate to or it's such a bizarre, weird, out-there story or it's just so unique and specific that it reels me in that way. It's like... So for me to really get into drama is a tall order, um, and it goes almost quadruple for shows, because now you're asking me to do it multiple times, which is why (laughs) when we do, when we have done drama shows, or when we will do drama shows for Reject or New, it will be very specifically difficult for me. To get through uh, quickly. Can I come back um, for that episode? I, I want I want another reason to watch The Hours. I watch that movie for fun. I, I literally watch that movie for fun any I literally day. watch The Hours for fun. Yes. I have actually I, seen that movie. You have or you haven't? I have. I love that movie. Like, literally, I can just I can just watch Nicole Kidman over and over I can over watch Julianne Moore over, over and over. Everyone just her me. standing on that on that uh, uh, that uh, train station going, I'm dying in this town. <laughs> and me going, bitch, me too. Like, like, <laughs> no. like, that's a really good point, TJ, about, like... That's fair, though. That's a fair assessment. About how you don't want to have... For me, I almost... I don't know if this is masochistic of me or not. And also, on a queer perspective, the only, like, good films we have are just these really horribly sad films. And, like, I Queer movies or just movies in general? Queer movies and movies in general. But, like, queer movies, but especially intersectional, like, QPOC films. I, like, like, Moonlight is a prime example of that. And so many films. Like, Kari, you are completely correct. Where it's just, like, infuriating just not to see Black Joy... All over again and over again and over again. And for me, it's always like just pure, not even just black joy, but just like just some QPOC joy. Like, child, give me something. Like, give me, but I'm a cheerleader, but like with a black person. Make me laugh. Yeah. Right. Like, just make me like have something fun with it. And I I totally get that. And maybe it's because of just like the environment that we've grown in. And I connect to these really sad films because it's like, I can understand that and because I can empathize with it so heavily on a personal level, I feel less alone that I like them. But at the same time, it's like, what am I torturing myself? Me, I just, um, I mean, I'm just like me. I'm just so deep and brooding that like, I'm just yeah, so yeah. deep and brooding that like, I will watch a drama just for the hell of it, just to feel something like, Ooh, child, let me just go here. No, I was like, you know what? Let me go you. watch Titanic again. It like, just makes us because we're so yeah. I'm just meanwhile, so deep my dad can only. Meanwhile, my dad can only watch movies with Italians in them. Um, so you know, <laughs> I'm sure he loved the Irishmen. Oh my god, Jesus! <laughs> but to like kind of piggyback on what Ginny uh, was uh, saying, uh, well, for two things. The first thing, I think, in a roundabout way, that's kind of why Black Panther became such a success is because 
it's a movie about black people, the black experience, saying all these things about being black, but it's also not like Depressing. super fucking sad. It's yeah. not it's Roots. Like, it's well, not 12 Years I a love, Slave. Right. That's why I fucking love Insecure so much. That's like why it's one of my favorite, mm. like one of the best TV shows on HBO. I don't know if y'all have ever watched it, but it's like a brilliant comedic TV show about just like black people being black. And living their lives as, as a black person, romance, a, and as yeah. a black lady, and like living in LA, and it's so God, I love that show. We should ever do a podcast about Issa Rae in general and about Insecure. Sign me up. I'll, I'll be here for it. Um, which also is a nice little connection because both Insecure and this movie make really strong use of lighting black people well. Yes. Um, like, yes. With the, I love the, the when blue I can see a black person in the dark. Right, exactly. Because there's plenty of night scenes. I mean, yeah. you can't have a movie called Moonlight where Moonlight reveals who you really are deep down without having without actually lighting the people well. I and also so have to stand like the bisexual kind of lighting around Naomi Harris in that hallway. I forking. We have to stand the bisexual lighting. Always. From um, the side. But also, like, I also found it interesting whenever he was like intensely backlit. And when things were like blurry yeah. and like, I was trying to figure out what the intent was with those moments. I don't know if they always correspond with trauma. Um, and then on top of that, like the moments where the, it only ever happens when he's young, but when the audio drops out um, and it's always at these like incredibly pinnable, pinnable, like, like incredibly pivotal moments. And it almost like feels like he's like tuning something out Yeah. at that moment. I don't know. I just, those were two things where it's like, as you talked about in I was like, uh, and then also this. And that's Moonlight. Thank you, everyone, for our listening. <laughs> I know. I like, well, no. Does anybody have any other notes? It's just such a good movie. Um, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, about I will end with saying that I have a huge cross on Trevante Rhodes and Jarell Jerome. Uh, Jarell Jerome, if you end up hearing this podcast, I am single. Um, I don't know what it is that you are interested in, but I will be whatever it is that you want me to be. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Any other last things? Uh, I'm obligated to bring this up because it was I found it very humorous uh, on, a, on a meta level uh, because I was watching this movie. I knew I was watching this movie for a Pride-specific episode. Sure. I knew why I was watching this movie. And then I saw Janelle Monet on screen and I had no idea she was in this movie. And I had probably the most heterosexual reaction. And <laughs> I literally right after that had to like mentally like spritz myself with like a dog. I was just like, hey, 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 that we are not here for this. <laughs> Well, it's okay. It's I me. counteracted you with having the most homosexual experience when she came on screen. So we just like we like whiplashed each other. Yeah, it's totally fine. I, I, this is. I think it's a design choice because when she's young, I think they deliberately put her in a more like push-uppy bra, and then when she's older, they don't. I literally did not notice this. To show true. that time had passed. I did not notice that. That's the most straight <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Her titties dropped to show Ooh, that, that time had passed. You're <laughs> getting black, deep crack. cut Mulaney references this episode. <laughs> <laughs>
Y'all are a mess. I can't. You gotta go. <laughs> Doctor's gone. <laughs> so, so if that's everything we have, I think a really nice way to close this episode is asking asking our queer folk in the sphere of of the movies you consume for representation. What what are you what do you want out of out of these movies? What either are you lacking? What do you want to see more of? What do you you know, what are what are more recommendations you have? Um, you know, I'd love to, if there's not a shit ton of releases next June, really like do more of this. Um but what are what do you want out of your representation in your movies? Just in general or these movies specifically? Whatever. Um, I would like some more uh QPOC centered movies and TV shows that are not centered around uh, depression. Um, I would love to see a black movie that's not about slavery or something in the 20th century. That'd be fun for me. I don't or know drugs. Yes, yes, or about drugs. I, I, I would love to see, you know, a uh, a rich black doctor or something or an anesthesiologist something fun you know lots of money bougie the title of the movie is put me under ah! <laughs> you're anesthesiologist you know what i'm gonna start that idea tonight i'm, I'm writing the screenplay tonight but no, but but also, <laughs> but also i would like to see more movies that are based more so around black joy instead of trauma like there's no reason why the only way validates can win a goddamn oscar as if it's fucking fences and pe- people are going through trauma and 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 and, and sad shit like th- that should not be the case that 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 her last two Oscar, Oscar nominations were two period films based in the 20th century like i just give can you come up with something else can you come up with something else um you're totally right but in the defense in everyone's defense the oscars are just so fucking hate fences of course you hate se- of course you hate fences tj but I we're hate not gonna fences go with, because we are, we are, it is a gonna, lazy adaptation are, of a stage play. It is a lady adaptation. Yes, it is a lazy adaptation of the same play ah, that I saw literally the same What about me? I have a life too. I had dreams and hopes. I had dreams. I had hopes and dreams. No. Uh, we're talking about hidden fences, right? No, baby. Oh. No. Becky. But yeah, no. That for for yeah for, for that I'm looking for that in films. Um. Uh. Of course, more Kate Blanchett, um, because why not? Um, why not? I don't think she's going she, anywhere. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see more of Sarah Paulson screaming. Uh, we need that. <laughs> <in film. laughs> doesn't, doesn't, really... doesn't Ryan Murphy give us enough of that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're going to break the really is. But, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what I would like to see in film. That, yeah, th- very much that. Jenny? What do you want from your queer films? Um, yes, and to literally everything Kari said. Um, and, yes, and. and. And to add on to that, um, on the fact of having, like, let's stop having films about POC and queer POC that's just, like, trauma-induced, and that's, like, the only story, or just stories about, like, the Black experience or, like, the POC experience. And it's like, how about we just have them be characters that experience things as humans? Um, but on top of that, with queer films... I'm, like, thinking about that stupid fucking Kristen Stewart Christmas movie that I didn't even watch. Yeah, I watched it. One. It wasn't um, terrible. It was. Um, I didn't even see it, and I know it was. But that's also me being very opinionated. Um, <laughs> I trust Dan Levy. 
I trust him, but he was in 0.2 seconds of the film from what I know. But he delivers one of the most important... Sure, but the movie ends in this way. The point I'm trying to make is that queer movies still tend, especially female queer movies, tend to be around coming out, about not coming out, about having to hide coming out to your partner, and then, like, in the end being kind of okay by it. It's, like, all of this stuff that, like, so many people have already passed through or already have experienced. And now, luckily, so many people in younger generations, luckily, in certain, like, communities and in certain families... I have not experienced this, but in certain families are able to be very open about their sexuality and be very happy and like everyone's loving about this. And it's a very big Gen Z thing. That's wonderful. But a lot of people that are older get pissed or kind of like sad about that because they're like, I didn't get to experience that. But there's some balance in films that needs to happen where the movie isn't in the same way on an intersectional level, like on the same way that like POC films shouldn't just be about being a person of color, queer films, I just wish in some ways weren't just about having to come out or hiding it from the conservative parents and then coming out in this crazy, stupid way. Or like like explaining or having to like explain to, uh, or sometimes where it's like they kind of like come out in passing. Where yeah. it's like someone's so, like, like where someone's like, Oh, I see uh went out with a girl last week. I thought you were only into guys. Yeah, well I'm bisexual. Like Right. It's like how about we just have a movie where it's just like in the same way that when I heard that Christian Stewart was coming out with a Christmas rom com about being queer, I was like, Oh my god, I'm so excited. It's just gonna be a stupid Christmas rom com about a lesbian couple. But instead it was another one of those we have to hide it from my parents and all this type of stuff and that is like insanely triggering for lack of a better term. It is insanely frustrating and disheartening. And, like, so many people have already moved past that. So many people, at least in certain circles, and a lot of circles outside of America, um, have moved past that and just have moved on. And I think we should have more films and not period lesbian dramas. We should stop having lesbian period dramas. We should stop having gay period dramas. No more Ammonites. Stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No more, no more Ammonites. With our hat on fire. Like, no more picture with a pussy on fire. I don't care. I don't want it. You know what? I will take another so, color purple. So what, I'm, so, what I'm, <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that we got to redo the Stonewall movie. And uh, we need to do a mockumentary set on Fire Island. Um, there, the, You can't hear this because it's an audio <laughs> medium, but they are both a game. <laughs> We don't need one goddamn thing about Fire Island because you know damn well there's going to be black correct. people in it. You know. You know there ain't going to be no black people in that movie. We'd be the yeah, servers. Yeah, Stonewall is such a rewriting of history. Which is yeah, just so, uh, like, yeah, like Carol. <laughs> like in Carol, Kari. <laughs> correct. Oh my god. Yay, Carol's black culture. Oh my god. <laughs> what can I get you, ma'am? An iced tea? I know, it's like the one person. <laughs> I said, go, yeah, I said, oh, go yeah, ahead, brother, serve potatoes. that drink. I said, yes, brother, go Jesus ahead, serve Christ. that drink. Take that, take that. Oh memory. my god. <laughs> I see you. I see you, my brother. So, I guess the moral of the story is, um, much like our criticisms about how people how people think about writing black people in the sense of like, well, I should we make Superman black? And it's just like... I'll take a black Superman. No! I want... 
I'll take a I Michael want a B. Superhero. Jordan, I want a superhero uh, that is black. Like, here's the thing, because the thing with that specifically of like, if you make a black Superman, it's like, well, okay, now the whole story has to change now. And they're like, what? No, you can just it doesn't change the bright change the skin tone and just leave it. And I'm like, no. Well, hey, we're getting a we're getting a black Ariel, and that's that's just wonderful. Uh, there are there are people who are like online. I don't know what the background is, but it's uh, William Jackson Harper with uh, John Carlo Esposito as Lex Luthor, um, is what people are saying, and I'm very down for that. But like, I agree with you, TJ. Where it's just like, how about you have a black character be a black superhero and not have no matter what, if you have a black Superman, it's just always going to be under the shadow of like what Superman originally was. It's also so it's like a black Superman. Instead of just being like, here's a black superhero, like Black it's, Panther. It's, or like although whatever. also going down that route, apparently I thought that Icarus in the Eternals was supposed to be queer because he is in the comics. And now they have him kissing uh, Gemma Chan's character in the trailers. And I don't know if it's a misdirect for the Chinese audience. I can't speak on that. But but if but if they go against, if they go back on that, when that was like, it's supposed to be a big deal, then I'm going to be really upset. But like... The fucking, the black Superman thing, there's a, first of all, you can't even make it an an actually good Superman movie just as a white guy first. Let's, first that. Then on top of that, Static Shock is right there. Like, what the fuck? Like, what the, ah! (laughs) Like, all these rumors. All yeah, these I rumors. Think, I don't speak Marvel DC. I, I... All these rumors about the past Spider-Man villains coming out back for Sp- Spider-Man Three in the MCU. When hello, Miles Morales is right here. How about you fucking do something with him? Why not? You have the PS5 game Spider-Man Miles Morales okay. coming right. out that already came out. This has been the Red out. Team Reviews podcast. <laughs> I just. Um, it's so <laughs> fucking dumb. They can't even get their white things right sometimes. And then this they're is, like... Uh, and then we're the, getting uh, away. From Happy Pride. Why is Scarlett Johansson ghost in the shell? Bye, everyone. Season. Happy Pride. Happy Thank Pride. You. Thank you, Ginny and Kari, for joining us today. Anytime. And giving us some... You know, thank you for letting us straight men use your gayness as credentials to talk about queer films. Um, we are exploitative and that is our nature. We'll uh, see you at the parade. Great. <laughs> we'll see you on the Macy's, uh, the, the Macy's float at the parade. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> is that the white pride? No, is that's that what just, that, or is that the that's straight what, pride? That's what straight people think pride is, so. Yeah. So if you would like to join the juicy discourse, uh, you can reach us at Red Team Pod on either Twitter or Instagram. Twitter is barren because nobody loves us, but Instagram we post every week. <laughs> Just laughing at Kari's face. Twitter's hard. Um, <laughs> um, and you can visit our website made by the effervescent Trevor Catalano. Pop, uh, pop, 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 pop. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> That's what effervescent means. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so you can join, uh, check out our website for previous episodes to listen to the podcast. Plus you can vote on shows for reject or renew. We do at the end of every month. 
uh, maybe choose a black show for fucking once. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Stop choosing Firefly. I love that. Also, I could have swore we put Insecure in Reject or Renew, but I it guess is. we didn't. Y'all should oh, do Roots well, we next. You're welcome. Roots. No. <laughs> you should. The reboot or the original? Uh-uh. Not the reboot, Doesn't child. Matter. The re- the, I want to see <laughs> Cecily Tyson in a mud hut. You better watch the original. Okay. God bless her. Uh, You can start your own podcast and do that, Kari. I've suffered enough. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but did you watch Roots the Next Generation as a child? What is this, fucking Star Trek? Um, It is. It really is. (laughs) No, it's it's Degrassi. Um, God. Uh, End the podcast. And if I'm trying to. And... Uh, if people would like to reach either of you lovely people, where can they reach you? You can reach me at, um, at, at Titus's twin. That's T-I-T-U-S-S-T-W-I-N. On? Oh, Instagram. Instagram. Leave my Twitter out of it. (laughs) You don't want to follow me on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I am... Not, I know it's fine. I don't care. Um, I'm not on Twitter. Uh, it terrifies me, but I understand its its importance and its popularity. That's I'm on it. Instagram. Um, I'm on Instagram as at Gin on the House, like Gin the cocktail or Gin like the spirit on the house, like H O U S E, because my name is Ginny House. So there you go. Puns. Puns are fun. All right. I'm assuming Trev, you have nothing else to add. Uh, no, um, thank, thank you both for being here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, queer people for making the world uh, a better place. You're welcome. Um, cause you just do. I literally, my, my circle, my circle has been becoming increasingly queer since the pandemic and all my street friends have left. Um, cause they're all getting married and moving to other places. So, so like my circle is very queer right now and I'm very happy with it. You should be. It's a good place to be. It's fun times. Uh, so, uh, I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Carolina. In the words in the words of a fictional man on a fictional show, every time someone steps up and says who they are, the world becomes a better, more interesting place. So thank you. Happy Pride, everybody. Yeah. Please take care of yourself and each other. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.